you're never going to charge your worth until you know your value. And so as an entrepreneur, you're probably undercharging right now because you're scared of your own worth. And until you get clear on what your value is, you're gonna lose. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You should be probably charging 10 times what you're charging right now, but you're scared. Stop being scared because the only reason you should be scared is because your product sucks. So either make a better product or charge more money. Welcome to another episode of the Big Picture Business Podcast. And today we have an incredible guest that I personally reached out to for so many reasons, but truly this guy is just... He's very inspiring. So I'm very excited to get into this interview. Michael Unbroken is here with us today. He is the founder of Think Unbroken, best-selling author, award-winning speaker, podcast host, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. Michael went from being homeless to hero since 2016. He's empowered over 100,000 trauma survivors to get out of the vortex, learn to love themselves, and become the hero of their own story. Michael has spoken in over 80 countries, won investments from undercover billionaire Grant Cardone, and is on a mission to end generational trauma in his lifetime. Additionally, Michael has been an entrepreneur since age eight. He has been the lead of over 500 people in his career, built multiple seven-figure businesses, and has consulted with multiple Fortune 500 companies. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my friends. Super excited to be here with you today. You know, it's so funny. People read that bio to me, and I'm like, okay, yes, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's always interesting uh, when we hear our own information, credibility, things we've done in our lives back to us. And we're just like, I did that. Oh yeah. <laughs> most of the time we're not focused on that. We're just like out there running our businesses, living life. And that's also like when people are building bios where I'm always consulting them, I'm like, you actually have to put that stuff in there because you have done it. But most people don't even think about all the things that they've done that are credible. Right. I had like one client, he was like, Oh, I was on the today show. I was like, you're on the Tay Show. Why isn't that in your bio? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But that, that's awesome. You've got quite uh, an impressive background, Michael, and we want to jump into some of it. But before we jump into it, I want to hear how you went from homeless to hero. Yeah, absolutely. I think context is everything. And I'll give you the elevator pitch version of it. So when I was four years old, my mother, she actually cut off my right index finger. She was a drug addict and alcoholic. And my stepfather was super abusive. The kind of dude you pray is never your stepfather. And I spent the majority of my childhood in poverty and even homeless. And in fact, we were so poor, the water company came and turned our water off. And I grew up in Indianapolis. I grew up in the United States. And by the time that I was 12 years old, I got high for the first time, drunk at 13, got expelled from school at 15. I was selling drugs, breaking the houses, stealing cars, hurting people. Luckily, I got put into a last chance program, still didn't graduate high school on time. Basically, they handed me the diploma and they're like, you just got to get out of here. And I found myself at 18 years old after injuring my knee, not being able to get into the military, thinking like, okay, cool. Well, that was my only plan. Now, what do I do? And so I was thinking about life from the perspective of what is the solution for poverty? Well, it's got to be money, right? 
It's got to be. And so I said, by the time that I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year legally. And this part's super important. My uncle was in prison for life. I've been in handcuffs. My friends have been to prison. And by the time I was 26, my three childhood best friends had been murdered. And so I was like, I cannot stay down this path. And so I ended up getting a job working for a fast food chain at 18 years old as a general manager in training, had 52 people under me. I was a baby with 52 people under me. Fast forward a couple of years, by the time I'm 20, I land a job with a Fortune 10 company. And by the time I was 21, I had my first check for $10,000. And you're like, great, you did it. Life's going to be grand from here. And everything got way worse. Because the thing about money that people always tell you that you don't understand until you have money is money is the root of all evil and all the issues in your entire life. And it actually is not something that makes your life better until you go through the healing journey, until you work through the darkness of your life. And so I found myself at 25 years old, 350 pounds, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, drinking myself to sleep, but having all this income. And that's when I put a gun in my mouth. I was just done. I was like, what? Money didn't fix the problem. What am I supposed to do? And you would think like that moment would be the moment everything changed, but it wasn't. It was actually the next day. And I'm laying in bed, keep in mind, I'm 350 pounds and I'm smoking a joint. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm eating chocolate cake and watching the CrossFit games. Like if, like if that's not rock bottom, like, I don't know what is. And I, for whatever reason, I went in the mirror, I looked at myself and I was like, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? In the words, no excuses, just results just started like reverberating through my body. And 11 years later, here I am talking to you. Now, in that journey, there was a lot of healing. There was a lot of therapy, men's group therapy, CBT, EMDR, NLP, the entire acronyms, every single alphabet, you know, all of those things. And then there was coaching, there was mentorship, there was personal development, there was self-help books, there was conferences, there was making myself uncomfortable, traveling the world, opening and closing multiple businesses, doing all these things that I needed to do to kind of figure out who the hell I am. And in that process, getting all of this education in trauma and understanding the unbelievable amount of people impacted by it, creating meaning and rhyme and reason of, of my experience and helping people in running Think Unbroken and the other companies that I do now, that came by proxy of me asking myself that question, what was I willing to do? And today I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed to say, you know, I have traveled the world. I have coached thousands of people. I have had a number one best-selling book. I have won awards for speaking. I have had the opportunity to be in rooms like this. But ultimately, my number one mission, the only thing I care about is ending generational trauma in my lifetime. Wow. I don't even know what to say. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Your story is really not only intense, but wow. Look at you now. That's only 11 years ago. The significance of that. That's only just barely over a decade ago. Wow. You've come a significant way. Thank you for that. And look here, that's the elevator pitch, right? I didn't even, like, that's nothing. Like there's stuff that I just will never talk about because it was so dark and I don't think it needs to be said. And look, I, I don't know anything anybody doesn't know. I don't, I just made a decision. And that's the thing that I think people have to remember in life. Like when you decide something and you move towards it on a long enough timeline, that can be your life. Right. I say it all the time. What you think becomes what you speak and what you speak become your action 
and your actions become your reality. Let me tell you this. I am nowhere close what I want to accomplish in my life. And so while I have a, a huge amount of appreciation for, for your response, I just go, okay, cool. Not even, even in the ballpark yet. I'm still in training camp. See, Rory, I told you this was going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How did that mindset, how did you shift your mindset? I understand that you had those really powerful words, just like moving through your body, but what really kept you motivated? Well, you know, I think it's a lot of different things. It's a combination of that, right? I looked at my life and it was like, I am done negotiating with myself. I'm done with this. It's the dumbest thing ever because every time I make an excuse, my life gets worse. And I was like, I'm just going to challenge myself. Here's the thing people don't understand. When we're young, and this applies to everyone, you don't even have to have a crazy background like me. When we're young, we are groomed to be people within the scope of what is deemed societally appropriate through our parents, through our peers, through our friends, through our school, right? We learn to turn off our intuition and trust who we are because of the ramifications that come with that shame, guilt, hurt, pain, right? Think about it. Third grade, you color the moon purple and the teacher goes, uh, you're stupid. Don't color the moon purple. And then that carries with you to this point where you're like 27, 35, 48 years old, and you have no idea how to trust yourself. And so I had to learn how to step into that. I had to learn how to trust myself and take actions and make decisions alignment with me. But to get to that place, I had to ask myself, what was I willing to do? And in that process, like no excuses, just results is for real. Like, and I held myself to that because I never had like, well, how do you stay motivated? Like, I'm not like I wake up most days, you know, my favorite thing on planet earth, getting stoned and playing video game. Right. But I made a promise to myself. And in that promise, in that action comes this change. And I recognize on a long enough timeline, it comes to fruition. And so what happened is I set my North star so high, this concept, right? In generational trauma, that's improbable. It's so far-fetched. It's probably not going to happen in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. And that's what I think people get caught up on. Like they're just trying to do these things without having clarity about why they want to do it. Cause my hope is my little brothers will read my book one day. But when I started, it was simple. I was like, do something different. I didn't think my life was going to get better. I was just like, what's different. What can I do today to challenge myself? And it's a journey right? Because to your point, like you said, we're talking about over a decade of work. I had to get mentally fit, emotionally fit, physically fit, spiritually fit. I had to challenge the narrative of the understanding of the person that I thought I was capable of being through everything that had been placed in front of me, being told you're not good enough, smart enough, capable enough, being homeless, stealing food to survive, wearing clothes from the church donation, being homeless as a kid and living with 30 different families over the course of two years. Like everything that happens in our life informs who we are. And suddenly one day you're looking at your life and you're like, it's a disaster. And then you're faced with a choice, right? What are you going to do about it? And I blame the world. It's your fault, my parents' fault, the community's fault, all of these people's fault. And then I went and I looked in the mirror and I was like, nah, dude, it's your fault. Because 
Here's what's hard. And I want people to hear this because we go like all of us have this. You're not a child anymore. And that's hard. It's hard because you're like, but part of me feels so empty and lost and abandoned and hurt. And you have to heal that part of you and you have to give yourself those things that you need, or you end up smoking two packs a day, drinking yourself to sleep at night, being 350 pounds and putting a gun in your mouth. And the hard truth about it is you're not a child anymore. And that means you have to take responsibility for your life. And there are people who will hear this and they'll go, what does this guy know? I don't know anything. I don't. The only thing I know is that we have choices and decisions to make. And you are either building your life or you're destroying your life with every single one of them. So what would you say? Like someone is like scared to start this process. What would you say to them? I'm always scared. I'm scared every day. We all are. Life is like this weird paradox of like, I want to chase my dreams, but I'm terrified simultaneously. The reality is, so I want to make it practical, but I want to set something in place that hopefully plants a seed. We all have fear. So you have to do it anyway. Because on the other side of it, you don't know what's going to happen, right? The first time you stepped on stage with a guitar, you didn't know what was going to happen. The first time you started to build a business, you didn't know what was going to happen. You were up at night. Did I make the right choice? Did I make the right decision? I'm freaking out right now. I can't pay the bills. I need to borrow money. I'm in debt, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually one day you look at your life and you go, man, I'm so glad I faced that fear, right? And so I I think that's where it begins is you just have to acknowledge that if you step into this with grace and you just say, I don't know what I'm going to see what I can do, man, life can be super special. It truly can. But I think in a very simplified way to answer your question in a way that it will help people is you have to get to this place where you allow yourself the space to acknowledge that it's okay to ask for help. Because the reality is, if you really think about this, no one has ever done anything great on their own. We're communal species. We're built to be in connection with each other. And I was terrified to ask for help. And if I could go back in time, it's the first thing that I would do because that's where the change came. That's how I got into this place where today If I need help, I'm asking. I don't even think about it because I know and I understand that I only have the capability to do so much by myself. Okay. So you mentioned that you had, you know, a bunch of mentors, right? And this goes with like asking help, like, where did you find your mentors? And and maybe you can share with us who you feel is like the, the most important mentor that you had and why. Yeah. That's a really great question. So there's levels to it, right? When I was young, I would actually be in the library almost every single day. And I think that surprises a lot of people, but it, it's because they had air conditioning. And so I would I would be in there in the blistering hot summer, in the scorching or in the in the freezing cold winter, and I'd just be reading books, fascinated with biographies, reading real life stories of real life people. Even to this day, I can't read fiction. I challenge myself to it. It takes me like two years to get through a fiction book. And so like I was obsessed with learning, but learning about what I was interested in. I was reading about athletes. I was reading about business people. And then like as I kind of grew, it was music. Like I was listening to the lyrics of songs and really making meaning of them. And I found myself 
when I got serious about this journey and like going to find mentorship in a way that was practical, it was about who can I find that's one step ahead of me. And so 10 years ago, podcasts weren't really a thing. They were kind of starting. So I was listening to some of those and self-help books and personal development. It was like, can I grab a Tony Robbins? Can I grab a Brendan Burchard? Can I, you know, whatever I can find. And then it was really kind of this evolution of stepping deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And then understanding something really important is that the mentors were also the people around me. And so I'll tell you the story. When I was 18 years old and it was my senior year of high school, I get a call from my girlfriend right around graduation. And she goes, hey, your name's not on the graduation list. I already knew it wasn't going to be. I didn't go to school. And so like I'm irate though, because I'm 18 years old. I'm like at home stoned playing video games. Go to school. I'm like banging on the teacher's door because I knew who it was. I didn't even have to look at the list. His name was Mr. Bush. And he comes to the door, it's at the break. And he goes, what? And I was like, whoa. And uh, I go, I can't believe you failed me. Who do you think you are? And I dropped some curse words, some expletives. And he looks at me and he goes, we made an agreement. Because you see at the beginning of that semester, as I got the list, my business class, irony, was the first period for that semester of school for me. And that started at like 7.15 in the morning. But I was working a job at a Hollywood video and then selling drugs at night. The Hollywood video was a cover because I watched a lot of Make Sense. And then at night, like I'm out in the streets. And so I told him straight up, I was dead honest. I said, I'm never coming to your class. This is a dude who's been teaching in public school for 20 years. He's seen it all. I'm not the first kid to tell him this. And he looks at me and he goes, check in with me once a week and do homework. We'll figure it out. I didn't check in with him or do homework one time. And so I found myself now in this weird position where I'm like, why did you fail me? And he looks at me and he goes, this is literally the most important thing anyone's ever taught me in my life. He goes, you need to understand something. You can't get by in life on your charms and your good looks, because if you want something, you're going to have to earn it. And that has carried with me to today. And that arguably, Mr. Bush is the most important mentor I've ever had. And now as I've grown and and I've kind of stepped further and further and further, I'm lucky enough to be able to have mentorship from people like Tom Bilyeu and Gary Vaynerchuk and Mel Robbins and Grant Cardone. And that's really amazing where I've actually had one-on-one conversations with these human beings. And 10 years ago, I'll tell you this, they felt untouchable to me. Six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, I was like, I'm never going to be in connection with these guys. And I kept doing the work and I kept building and I kept doing all the things. And this is what's really interesting about mentorship that people have to understand. I never asked one of these people, can I buy you coffee? They don't have time to have coffee with you. That's nonsense. And so the thing that you have to think about is in order to get in connection with people. There's levels to it. Accept that. Recognize that. Be where you can be with a person who's one step ahead of where you want to go. And then also understand that there is an investment required in this. And you're going to have to, it's an acronym I came up with one day. It's TEAM, T-E-E-M. And you're going to have to invest time, effort, energy, or money. And chances are you're going to have to invest all four. But when you invest in yourself, the ROI, it's exponential. So I love that question, Rory. I know that's long-winded, but I really want to create some context here. Yeah. you know, And this goes to like one of my philosophies is that I will always bet on myself. And I don't think 
think a lot of people are willing to do that. And it puts them in situations where they aren't able to expand, grow, develop the life that they want because they're not willing to believe in themselves to do something. You know, and even if it's just simple as like learning something new, just willing to be able to say, like, I am betting on myself that I can learn this. A key thing for mm-hmm. me in my life is once I got to that point where I wasn't pushing it off saying, oh, someone else has to do this for me, or, you know, I have an expectation that the world owes me something or anything like that. It's just, okay, now in my life, I'm betting on myself and whatever the outcome is, it's on me and I will accept that. That's a hard truth. And I think the part that brings people to this place where they're not willing to bet on themselves is because they're terrified of their own potential. Like, I really believe that's true because we've had people just rain down on us for so long. And then you start telling yourself that story and then it becomes the truth. It becomes the reality until you understand that it's not. And that's the hard part. Like if I had the magic pill, that would be it. I'd be like, this is the thing you need to understand. Whatever it is that you want to create in your life, you can create, but you got to shut the noise down. You got to get these people out of your life who take from you. You got to get off of Netflix all night long. You got to, people are terrified to invest in a $9 book talking about why is my life terrible? And what most people don't realize, especially about books, because you know that's my business, is that most people put the majority of their information in their book because they're trying to get people to a level of being able to work with them. And if they don't create transformation through their book, then you're never going to get to the point of working with them or buying their courses or whatever it is or going to their events. So the book is usually a transformational tool and they put so much value in there. People just don't take action on it. Yeah, it's so true. And you know, that's the unfortunate part. I wasn't joking about being a kid and spending all the time in my in the library. I still get the majority of my books from the library. It's free. You, what excuse do you have? And like, that's not me being a cheapskate. I got, you can see books behind me I've purchased and I have a whole collection of them, but the lie is right there. Everything you ever needed to know is right there. And I'll say this part of that comes from, if you guys have seen Goodwill Hunting, there's a scene where in the, the bar and he's like, you're paying for this education. I just paid overdue fees at the library. And that hit me so hard. And then I was like, I'm not buying books. I'll go to the library. It's fine. <laughs> Well, yeah. And then you you buy the ones that you know you're going to read over and over again. Or like in, in your case, it's uh, you have someone on your shelf, like behind you to show that these are the values that I have, right? They're physical reminders of that. And sometimes just having a tangible object uh, in your space uh, just helps keep you in the right mindset because you have all that information, like the 10X rule right there. You have that information in there, but seeing that book every day, I'm sure it triggers something to keep you on the right path or um, like a memory that's like, oh, I I remember this in the book. I can utilize this. Yeah. And also I wish you could see in front of me. um, I have a copy of Success Magazine that has so many of the change makers in our world on it right now. Tom Bilyeu, Rachel Hollis, Marie Forleo, Brendan Burchard, Trent Shelton. They're on the cover of this. I look at this every day and I'm like, I'm going to be on the cover of this. These things are markers for me, right? So I look, you know, behind me, I got David Goggins. I got John. John Lee Dumas, I got Grant Cardone, I got my book. Those are markers. Those are like, I use these the same way people collect trading cards when they're little kids, when they put posters on their wall. These are the posters on my wall. I'm like, bet I'm about to dunk on these fools. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. I love that. I find that it is the most common theme, at least in my business and working with, with my clients to break through a growth plateau, to get to the next level in their business. There's like this self-worth that's missing, or that doesn't come into the conversation. And when I think about who they should bet on, I'm constantly saying, why not yourself? You are till death. Do we part literally like this is it, right? So why not bet on yourself and keep going and keep learning, go to the library, do these things. You have access to all of this amazing content, hire right mentors, but talking about mentorship in a video uh, that you created, I saw that you had hired a mentor that didn't quite work out as expected. Can you speak to that a little bit and what that process? was like and how you moved through it. Today, I posted uh, the, the serendipity of this. You're never going to charge your worth until you know your value. And so as an entrepreneur, you're probably undercharging right now because you're scared of your own worth. And until you get clear on what your value is, you're gonna lose. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You should be probably charging 10 times what you're charging right now, but you're scared. Stop being scared because the only way you should be scared, the only reason you should be scared is because your product sucks. So either make a better product or charge more money. Sorry, that's a little rant. I'm just, you know, it just, that was on me today and I just wanted to share that. (laughs) Preach it. I mean, that's, we talk about that stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, just the other day we had a a guy on the podcast and he was saying that he was charging a hundred dollars an hour for all of this incredible knowledge that would have taken me four or five years to learn like a hundred, what a hundred dollars. Are you for real? And so we had to sit him down and say, man, like you're not charging enough. He's like, Oh really? I thought I was charging too much. Oh boy. Having those healthy people in your world to say, look, let's shine a light on this. You're not charging enough and you are worth your, your self-worth what you have to offer. It's so, so, so valuable. We charge the same way we buy. So if you're only ever looking for the discount at TJ Maxx, mm, I wonder how you're charging people for your product. And I think about Mm -hmm. that every single day. And I think there's levels like you have to, to your point, you have to build that up in yourself. You have to build the confidence. You have to build the product. You have to build the suite around that to get to the point where you feel comfortable with it. But sometimes you just got to do it anyway. Right. And so, you know, that's really fascinating. And, and, and to answer your, your original question, yes, I've had bad coaches. I've had bad mentors. I've had people because the truth is sometimes you don't know until you're in it with them, right? And you're like, oh, actually, you got me. Got me. That happens. Like, that's the truth about it. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't. I was just talking to one of my clients today, and they're like, I'm so glad I found you because the last person I worked with, I wasted all my money. And I was like, that breaks my heart because I hate it. It pisses me off because I'm sitting here. I'm like, your responsibility is a moral obligation to make the world better. And the people who take from people, they get a special place in hell. And so because of that, what I'm always thinking about is I'm going to do whatever it takes to set the people up around me for success. And when I have a mistake in my life, when I hire the wrong coach, which I will do again, as short as the sun will rise tomorrow, it will happen again. I will look at that and go, great, data, won't do that again, right? And so it's going to happen. And it's unfortunate. I wish that weren't the case, 
but it is, it's human nature. There are people who are shysty. There are people who are shady. It's a part of the experience. Like if everybody were golden, there'd be no wars. We wouldn't even need to have this podcast because everybody'd be super happy all the time. That ain't the world we live in. And so because of that, I just go, all right, fine. Lesson learned. I lost some money, you know, but that lesson, that lesson makes me go, now I know what to look for next time. So when I actually invest 50,000, 100,000, a million dollars into a coach. I'll be sure that I'm asking the right questions. One of my mentors who I didn't mention, Brendan Dawson, who's an incredible human being, said something to me after I won this pitch off with Grant Cardone when Grant invested $10,000 into my business. And he goes, always remember this, the quality of your questions determines the quality of your answer. And so now whether I'm working with a client or a mentor or anyone, like that's, I'm always thinking about how great can I make this question to make sure that I get an answer that helps me solve a problem or opens up the floodgate to where I need to go next. And so, yeah, the the hard part of it, bad coaches are going to happen. Bad business happens. It's unfortunate, but it's a part of the game. And you're like, preaching to the choir about like clients coming and they're like, Oh, like I've been taken advantage of by this, or, you know, I spent all my money with this person. You know, I hear that all the time. It's like, well, people have been like, I've had four book coaches and I don't have my book done. I'm like, uh, it like hurts. Cause I'm like, I know how much money they're spending and they're just trying to like grow their business. They're trying to realize a dream and people are taking advantage of that. And that was why like a, big reason of starting business that I have is because I was like, I want to solve this for people. We focus on results. We can get people the results and get their books done and get it out to the world. They can move on. They can utilize it in their business. It's one of those things where, you know, and also I think as leaders, as executives, as whatever your title is, you have to remember that it's your fault, right? I totally take blame for hiring the wrong coach. Every mistake my teams make, my fault. Every single one. I don't care what it is from a customer happiness issue to the wrong copy being used on a post on social media to a podcast going out five minutes late. Don't care. My fault. Because the one thing I'm always thinking about is that there's no space in this to pass blame because the second you do that, you're hindering yourself. And you're forgetting the most important thing about running a business, about owning businesses, that you did this so that you could have responsibility over your life. And so even when I've hired the wrong people, I've made poor investments. I've done things where I was like, well, that was five grand down the toilet. Great. I go, well, my fault. Didn't ask the right question. Learned a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and and Dominic and I were talking about this yesterday, where the reason that most people get into business is because they want freedom of time. They want to not have a boss dictating their lives, but then they start doing it. And then they're like, oh, I'm not used to this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that usually becomes the question. Now what? Now what? Now what do I do? So I quit my day job. Now what? Yeah. It's that's, that's a common one. So let me ask you a question on like the marketing business building side of things. How, with your story, how did you really decide how to stand out in the marketplace? Or if someone has a story, how, like what is the best way they can stand out in the marketplace with their own story? Realistically, I was eight years old selling candy and popcorn for the Boy Scouts. 
right? So this is a weird juxtaposition of my life. I grew up a Mormon Boy Scout in the hood. Yes, I know it's insane, but it's true. It Trust me. And so like we would, I know we don't have enough time. And so I'd be going and I'd be knocking on people's doors at like seven, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Like you could never do that now. You're, you would get arrested if you let your kid do this. And like, I learned how to sell to people and there's all these other little Boy Scouts. So I had to learn how to tell stories better than them. And then when I was 12, like I learned how to sell drugs. So I had to learn how to, in the competition of that, be the first one there, show up harder, be willing to take the risk. Like my friends and I got in very, very, very bad situations. That's why three of them are no longer with me. And then what happened is I started building legal businesses. So I leave corporate America because I learned this incredible lesson. I am not built for that. Even though I worked and I made this company millions of dollars and I made a tremendous amount of money myself, I had to wear the suit and the polo and the stupid khaki. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I'm six foot four covered in tattoos. I'm sitting here with a headset on. Give me a break. And so I'm looking at my life and I'm like, nope, next. So I had a camera in my hand from the time I was five years old. My grandma always had cameras around. And I was like, maybe, maybe I'll start a photography business. Maybe I'll do that. And so I started doing that on the side, heading into the end of working for this corporation. And so now this is 24, 25 years old. And I was like in this place where I had to learn it all the hard way. And so when you're in this city with all of these photographers, and I'm a biracial dude, I'm black and white, West Nigerian and Irish. I'm six foot four. I'm covered in tattoos. And yet I'm an award-winning international wedding photographer. Well, how do you do that? And then today, looking at my life and being a leader in this space around trauma, working with companies in the Fortune 500, being the VP of international sales and marketing for a multi-million dollar brand on the other side, doing all this consulting, blah, 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 blah. People ask me like, well, how do you stand out? You got to be super okay with being who you are. That's where people get lost. When you try to serve everyone as what they need, as opposed to being you, you lose. Just be you. Let people hate. I get canceled all the time, guys. I got a folder full of notes on my phone of getting canceled. Who do you think you are? How dare you say it that way? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, good. That means I'm not the right fit for you. That's okay. If I am one day, beautiful. I hope that happens. But until that moment, I'm only going to focus on serving the people in the room. I'm not worried about the people who didn't come to the event. I'm not worried about the people who didn't listen to the podcast. It's there for them if they want it. But because I'm not trying to bend myself, oh, please like me, which is easy. It's easy. We want that, right? We want admiration. We want love. We want compassion. We want community. But I only want it from the people who want to give it to me. And when I put my head on the pillow at the end of the night, I don't want to be like, man, I can't believe I had to lie to get this money today. And that's what people get stuck on, right? They're like, man, I had to pretend to be someone else so I could get paid. Well, good luck looking in the mirror tomorrow, because I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be difficult. And so you want to stand out of the marketplace? How about you just be your damn self? That's how you do it. Yes. 
this is just amazing. I have, there's like so many questions swirling around. It's like, Let's I'm going to walk away from this podcast and be like, oh, we got to get him back on about this, that, and the other thing. So you talk about failure as if it's just kind of like, all right, that's fine. Move on. Let's get going to the next thing. Has there been in your professional career or with your companies now, has there been a moment where you're like, wow, I just need to sit with that failure for a little while and kind of like dissect it, pick it apart and go, huh? Okay. No. And, and I, I don't approach it like that. So I want to be very clear. If it came out that way, that's not my intention. I look at failure as data. So I measure it. I think if you try to go and eh, whatever, brush it off, it's going to find you. It's going to be really bad when it does. Right. So I just want to be clear about that. I think about life in general is just a series of failures and that's not a bad thing. Here's why. Because if you're not failing, then that means you ain't trying anything. And if you're not trying anything, you're just going to stay the same. And if that's what you want, great, but you don't get to blame the world because your life is what it, you want it to be. And so failure, to me, I measure it. I just look at it and I go, great, huge mistake. Awesome. Jocko Willink, when he wrote his book, Extreme Leadership, there's this part where he's like just using this word good all the time about mistakes. And I remember listening to this like five years ago, might've been six years ago, whenever he released that book and then him talking about failures and going good. It's an opportunity to learn. Good means you didn't do it right. Good means you didn't set your team up for success. Good. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so brilliant because not that long ago, mm. I used to beat myself up about it. It would keep me awake at night. It would destroy my friendships and my relationships. Failure became this thing that just loomed over me all the time. It was like walking outside. That's how I phrase it. It was like walking outside on a sunny day. And it's like you're wearing sunglasses, even though you don't have any on. It's just always on top of you. And then I was like, wait, what do all these successful people have in common? The people I look up to, the people I want to be around one day, what is it that they know that I don't know? And it was the way they thought about failure. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting to me because here's what, again, coming back to where we kind of started this, you know, failure was dangerous for me as a kid. A mistake when I was a kid would get my ass kicked, could get me arrested, could get me murdered. And so to make mistakes, then they were bad. They were detrimental. And to carry that weight with me into my adult years, like that didn't serve me anymore because I wasn't a kid anymore, but I would measure these mistakes and these failures and I would destroy myself about them. I think we've all had that experience where you're just like ripping yourself apart. And so what I always think about is this. We say things to ourselves that if we said to another human being would get us arrested or punched in the face. And I think a lot of that comes through the scope of failure. And so part of failure is looking at it as data, but the other part of it actually began for me when I started doing this. I started saying to myself, I am the kind of person who is kind to myself. And when I started doing that, I realized how would I treat my team when they make mistakes? How do I treat my partners when they mess up? How would I talk to my best friend if they made a mistake? And I was like, I would never say to them what I say to myself. So I started with kindness. And kindness is one of my values along with leadership and self-actualization and honesty. And so kindness plays this huge role in my life. So even though I can be like this menacing figure or this aggressive person and this stubborn guy, like everything filters through that kindness. And so when it comes to failure, I'm, and I want to be clear, 
I don't necessarily take it easy on myself when it comes to these things, right? I use this data to create change. And so because of that, I filter it and I go, okay, am I taking care of myself or am I taking it easy on myself? Because these are two very different things. And sometimes to your point, asking about, has there been a monumental failure? Absolutely. There's been dozens. There's been so many that they're probably all at the same scope to this point where I don't even recognize how to separate the little ones from the big ones because I go, they're inevitable. Everybody's going to make these huge mistakes. It's what you do with it is what I think that matters. Thank you for explaining that much deeper. I appreciate that. Yeah. Incredible advice. When I was reading your bio, we have mentioned that the term generational trauma, and I, I want to ask you this question because that term has come up a lot recently, just whether it's social media or things I'm reading, it's like generational curses or generational traumas. How might someone identify if they are being burdened with generational trauma versus just everyday stressors? Is there, is there like a way to really look at that big picture and then get some mentorship, some support, some help around that? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that you have to be able to look at, is this a stressor from my day to day or is there carryover from things that happened to me when I was young? But I think first for context, it's important to help people understand what generational trauma is. So I look at generational trauma as being the scope of the impact of those before you and the way that they were treated and how they then thus treated you. And so what that means is, you know, a lot of the behaviors that we experience from our parents as children were the same behaviors that their parents treated them with and so on and so forth to the dawn of time. And I think the unfortunate part about the human experience is that some of us really suck and some of us are very unkind and some of those are very cruel. And so when that gets instilled in a child, that becomes their nomenclature, their vernacular for how they operate in the world. Perfect example, growing up, everyone in my house screamed at each other, yelled. That was communication, terrified. If you got in trouble, oh, you were just getting screamed at, you were getting stuff thrown at, like the chaos of all of that. And as an adult, I realized something one day after having a screaming fest with the woman I was seeing at the time, I was like, this is the same thing my parents used to do to me. But today I look at it and I go, okay, how are the experiences that I had implementing and enforcing the actions and behaviors that I have today on other people? And then kind of reverse engineering that and trying to figure out where that comes from. And so today I have a very simple rule in my life. It's only one of a handful of non-negotiable things. You are not allowed to yell at me and I will not yell at you. And I don't break that for anyone or any reason. Even if I lost a $100,000 deal, I'm not going to scream at anybody. And so when you're looking at the impact of the experiences of your current moment and how they have played a role in all of the decision-making that you have, it often goes back to your childhood. And look, you can use that. People are using this as an escape goat right now. I'm going to be very clear about this. They're looking at, they're going, and I'm guilty of this. So I will raise my hand. They'll be the first one in line to say that I have done this where I used to be like, that's how they treated me. So this is how I treat you deal with it. And that's not okay. Because when you understand that, when you do that, you're not living life with alignment of who it is that you are or are capable of being, you actually are doing yourself a gigantic disservice. And so the thing that I always come back to it, when it comes to generational trauma, you can look at your life and go, well, of course, why would I not be this way? This is what I was taught. I had to make that 
kind of same awareness decision myself because my dad had a, a gambling addiction and it like completely ruined my parents' marriage. I didn't get to see him growing up because of it. And I made a decision that I was just going to avoid and clearly not be around anything that had to do with gambling. I don't see, I mean, some people make that decision, but most people don't. And it's the kind of decision you have to make. And you have to step out of yourself and look back and be like, okay, this is how this could potentially be an issue, or this has been an issue through the past of my family or you know, whatever environment I've been raised in. How do I stop that? How do I break that? How do I make sure that it's not true going forward? Yeah. Well, man, that's it's heavy, right? And I'll, I'll say this, I might be a little bit of an, at an advantage than most people. At 14 years old, I put a restraining order on my mother and my stepfather. At 18 years old, I told my mother, I'm never talking to you again. I was able to foresee the future based on the learned experiences that I had. And I'll, I swear to you, I'm telling you, I'm like, this is not a joke. If I would not have done that, I would not be talking to you guys right now. There's no way. The hardest part about life, the hardest part about stepping into what you are able to create, the hardest part about looking at what I'm capable of doing is recognizing that the person in your way might be your mom and choosing to put yourself first. This is, oh my God, it's so difficult, man. It's so difficult because the reality is we come from a society that always tells you family first. And I come from a thought process that says, I have to put myself first because I didn't get to choose my family. And there's layers to it, right? There's conversations about chances and forgiveness and love and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't make that hard decision, you may never be able to have the life that you want to have. And it's not easy. It's, it's actually the number one thing I coach people on is this exact topic. If I broke down everything that I've coached people on for years, it's this because they're like, it's my mom, but she's destroying my life. And I go, well, what are you going to do about it? And that's hard. And it's not as easy as you can, you know, in a podcast and in a conversation, create and make meaning of. But I think the thing that you can take from this is to ask yourself a very simple question. What do I have to do to have the life that I want to have? And sometimes that means making a difficult decision about the people in your life. Yeah. And, you know, and it's kind of the foundation of almost all addiction recovery is that, People don't change until they remove themselves from the environment, the people, and the triggers that led to the addiction in the first place and that sustain yeah. it. And once they do that, then real change can happen for them. Yeah, totally. And I think that applies to every level of success you'll ever have in your life. What do you have to let go of to go to what's next, right? These are incredibly valuable important questions. And I wish that we could keep talking forever, but I think we should end it on this note. And I know that you, your most recent book, incredible. Can you tell our listeners all about the trauma healing book? Yeah. So Think Unbroken is a book that I wrote because it's the book that I needed. After reading all these self-help books, going to all these conferences, getting all these certification and, and trauma-informed education, it just felt like something was missing. And so I was like, okay, why don't I create something that feels accessible, educational, as part journal, part self-help guide, part coaching. And that's really what the book is. It's not about my life. The preface is because context, right? But the rest of it is are like the tangible tools and understandings in a 101 baseline entry-level class 
surface level introduction to how you start this process. If I wrote the book that exists within my brain, it would be 9,000 pages long, right? And so I said, how do I simplify this into practical things that you can start adapting into your life immediately? And I want everybody who's listening, they're welcome to go buy it. I don't care, but you can have it for free if you go to traumahealingbook.com and it's there for you. It's a tool. It's a guide. Like it's, I mean, the only thing I care about is ending generational trauma by any means necessary. And so hopefully this book can help be a companion for you if you need it. Amazing. And we will absolutely have a link for that in the show notes as well. Be sure to check out Michael's podcast too. You can, you can listen to more of just his incredible story at think unbroken podcast. And do you want people to connect with you on social media? Do you have any Instagram? Yeah, I'm on all the social media at Michael Unbroken. And if you're in this place where you're like, I just don't even know what to do, like chaos. And I know this, we didn't really talk about business, but people should understand how much this actually matters in the scope of business. You don't get these things together. You're going to have a hard time. And so if you're just like, yeah, I just need a little help. It's Michael Unbroken everywhere. I literally respond to everyone. My team doesn't. It's me. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking this time with us. Thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, it's just been an incredible journey to have you. And I would love to have you come back on so we can dive more into the business side of things. But this was just the flow of this conversation just meant to go in this direction. So thank you again for being here with us. My pleasure. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. All right, guys, that's it for this one. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. 